real simple chorus. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you.
worship you. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. God, tonight as we come before you, Lord, and as we open your word, Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd prepare our hearts and our minds to be a fertile soil, Lord, where we hear your word, where it gets down deep, where it takes root, Lord, and where it can grow in such a way that it bears fruit in our life. Because, Lord, you told us there are many who hear and receive with joy, and they they spring up quickly, and yet they fall away because there's no root. Or they allow the things and the, the cares and the worries of this world to choke them out, Father God. But Lord, we pray that that would not be us tonight, Lord God, but that you uh, would just provide power, Lord, for us to hear and for us to, to walk in your ways, Lord God. Because your kingdom is not a kingdom of words, but a kingdom of power. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name. So we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah tonight. It's probably not something you hear too often. And we're going to be in the very last chapter, chapter 13. So Jason, are you going to be able to uh, run the uh, PowerPoint over there for us tonight? Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you. So Nehemiah chapter 13. Now, Nehemiah is um, a little bit of background here. Nehemiah is a man that God used to restore the kingdom of Israel. So at this point in time, um, we're kind of we're kind of jump into the very last chapter of this book, and uh, Israel has been taken over. Their people have been scattered. The walls have been broken down. Everything in the temple is out of order. Things have been stolen and taken. I mean, they have just been obliterated. The people have crumbled. Uh, Their faith as a nation has crumbled. And here is Nehemiah, who was the uh, the king's cupbearer. And one day he comes into the king's presence and he's sad because he has heard about the desperate state of Israel and of the temple and of the walls. And the king asks him, why are you so sad? And he says, well, because of my people. And to make a really long story short, uh, the king actually granted that Nehemiah could go back and could, could rebuild, could rebuild the walls and put things in order. And he gave them an order from the king to receive 
all the wood and all the anything he would need for this work. God had opened up the door and had directed in this time for uh, the capital there to be restored. And Nehemiah was the man and the king had given him his favor. And so in chapter 13, they have already gone. And even though the surrounding nations are, hate what's going on, they see the walls being rebuilt and they mock them. They come against them. Sure enough, by the will of God, um, all things are coming together. The cities are rebuilt. The walls are rebuilt. The priests are back in the temple. And um, at the end of all this, as things are starting to, to go kind of back into to order, there are some things that happen here that we're going to look at. And we're going to look at this, this kind of this final piece of the puzzle here as God is giving new life and new birth to his people who for so long have been in many ways spiritually dead. And where the reality of their life quite literally has been in ruins. So starting in verse 1, it says, And on that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God, because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Now before this, Eliashib the priest having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offering, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers, and to the offerings for the priests. But during all this, this is Nehemiah talking, he says, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year, of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave. Uh, I'm sorry. I obtained leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, this guy's pretty cool. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room, Then I commanded them to cleanse their rooms, and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also realized that the portions for the Levites, which are the priests, had not been given them, for each of the Levites and the singers who did work had gone back to their field. So I contended with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and I set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouse uh, Shelemiah the priest, and Zadok the scribe, and of Levites, Pediah, and the next of him was Hanan the son of Zachur, the son of Mattaniah, for they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to their brethren. And then in verse 14 he says this, he says, Remember me, O God, concerning this. And do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. And we're just going to read through the end of the chapter, and we're going to go back and talk about these things. Uh, Verse 15, In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens. 
which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day of which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also, who brought in fish and all kinds of goods, and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I continued, contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do, by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be opened till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gate so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. Then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. Sounds like my dad. Ain't no snowflake. From that time on, <laughs> from that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashad, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashad and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them, and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused him even to sin. Should we then hear of you doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Joadiah, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sanballat the Horonite, who was not very happy about them rebuilding the temple, by the way. Or, yeah. Um, Therefore I drove him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleanse them of everything pagan. I also assign duties to the priests and to the Levites, each to his service, and to bringing the wood offering and its first fruits at appointed times. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. So why did I read all that? <laughs> what does that have to do with us today? You know, um, it's interesting looking at kind of the state of despair that Israel is in. And when you read through the Old Testament, there's always this kind of this clear example of whatever uh, Jerusalem whatever the state of it is as a people is this clear reflection of their spiritual state before God, that they had not been faithful, that they had not really been following the Lord. In fact, they had forsaken him for years and years through many things, and that God not just allow, you know, a lot of times we talk about, well, God allowed these things, you know. God did not just allow. God himself brought upon disaster upon Israel. 
so that those who would not believe would be judged and that his remnant would eventually be saved and brought back. But this was God's judgment against them for refusing him. Yet now there is this, there is this process of reconciliation between God and his people. There's this process of rebuilding and reinvigorating, right? And a lot of times we can kind of be in that place where we know the Lord is there for us and we've had an experience with him that we're called by his name, but we kind of fall away or we walk in our own strength until finally we end up and everything seems just kind of broken and empty, right? And God is there, and he is wanting to, to rebuild. He's wanting to reinvigorate. He's wanting to give new life. And, um, but there's always a way that this starts. There's always a way that this starts, right? And here, we kind of see it portrayed. If we start back, we, we jump back to the beginning of verse 13. It says that what they're doing is they're gathering the people that, together. It says, and on that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God. Right? And so God had given command, uh, commandment years before in the law that the people of Israel were to be separated from the world that they were to be sanctified and that they were to keep themselves clean, right? And not marry foreign women, not mix themselves with foreign cultures. That was part of God's law. And here they are, they had forgotten it. Not only had they forgotten it, but there was probably <laughs> some of those in the audience who, man, they're may maybe even hearing God's law for the first time. But what is their response? How do they respond to this reading? It says in verse 3, So it was when they heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Now, some of this stuff, you know, it's just part of the narrative, and we just kind of read through it, and we're like, okay, that's cool. But this is kind of amazing to me, honestly. This is amazing to me, because here they are, here are a people who have been living their own way. And suddenly God is rebuilding them and putting them back together. And he always does this. He always brings it back to his word. He starts with, with um, revealing his word to us. And it says they do exactly as they hear the word, they simply, they obey. And they separate from themselves. All those things that God told them to separate. Now, the reason why that's so fascinating to me. It doesn't sound very fascinating, right? We don't see that type of, that type of obedience a lot today. You know, we don't see that. You know, today, if, if we were, you know, if Kerrville was Israel, right, and we were just in shambles, and God was trying to kind of put Kerrville back together, and someone stood up in our midst and, and started reading the Bible and said, this is how you have, you, we, God is restoring us, and this is how we, we need to live our lives, and this is what you need to do, and this is how we need to put things in order. You know what you would be hearing from the crowds? Well, I mean, we can't really just put those people out, you know, I mean, after all, they've been with us for so long, and I mean, look at, you know, we've been kind of doing all right already, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, you know, I know it says that, but that was written, that was written back then, right? I mean, kind of needs to be updated, don't you think? Or, well, 
there's all these debates and arguments and things. And really, as that place right there is what keeps people stuck and keeps people separated from the blessing that God has for them in their life. You know, I was just talking to, uh, uh, me and Corey were just talking a minute ago, and I was quoting something that, I don't remember where it's at, but the Bible says, at least in the translation I have, that the word of God is verity. Is verity. And I remember reading that and being like, what the heck does that even mean, verity? I've never heard that word in my life, right? So I did what any good American scholar would do, and I Googled it. And basically, in a nutshell, what verity means, it's not just truth, but it is absolute truth. Like, no questions asked, like, done, right? And so all of God's ways and all of God's word is verity. It's truth. It's absolute truth. And the word of God, man, it's a living water for our lives. That God hasn't just given us some sort of odd rule book, right, so that we kind of look nice and we kind of live a half-decent life, but that the creator of the universe, the one who stitched you together in your mother's womb, the one who laid the foundation of the earth, he also has a pretty idea, of, pretty good idea of how he made things work. And he knows that when we operate in his character and his way, that not only will things naturally function and work better for us, but that he, as a loving God and Father, will be able to pour out blessing on us in that obedience. And that when we walk contrary to that, many times he won't. He won't. And not only will he he kind of withhold blessing, but the Bible even says that God will stand against you. Did you know that? The Bible says that God stands against the proud. And so that there are ways where we can actually make God out to, in some ways, be as an enemy to us. Not that he is. You know, but I I guarantee you, you know, the way my children see me, and rather they run towards me or from me, usually depends on what they're doing in the last three minutes, right? My attitude doesn't change towards my children. I love them, but I do discipline them right? And so we see these people, we see the word is given to them, and then when they hear it, they obey, and they start putting away from them things that have been stumbling blocks, and that in many ways, this is what God is calling us to do. And of course, I'm not going to reread through this, but what's very interesting about this chapter is this chapter is basically just a list of these things, that as God is restoring Israel, he is sending Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is one thing after another. He is having to go through, and he is having to put things in order according to God's word. Carter, Carter. So he's having to put things in order according to God's word. So the first thing was they were mixing with with foreigners, right? The second one was this guy, Eliashib, right, he took what was supposed to be holy in the house of God, that was supposed to be filled with uh, frankincense and incense and tithes, right? God has commanded tithes to come in, and he said, eh, and he cast all that stuff out. And not only did he just cast it out to put his buddy in there, but it happened to be a Gentile, 
right? So he was defiling the house of God for his own personal interest. Did he care? No. And in verse 8, it says, Nehemiah says, and it grieved me bitterly. It grieved me bitterly. So he casts them out, he, clean, he cleanses the room, and he puts things in order. Going, going on from there, he saw that the Sabbath day, which God had already commanded to be kept holy, that you were not to work on the Sabbath. You weren't, you weren't really even supposed to walk too far on the Sabbath, right? The Pharisees, when, when uh, the man who got healed picked up his mat to walk, they got mad because they considered that work, Right? And it was really was supposed to be a time of rest dedicated to God, right, and to honor his creation. And Israel, they're buying and they're selling and doing all these things. And Nehemiah sees this and he realizes, man, what are we doing? This is, this is not God's will for us. Now, it would be real easy to say, well, you know, we've been doing this all this time. And, you know, some of us get real hungry on Sundays, right? We always got enough bread. Maybe we all we got is bread. Maybe we want fish. You know what's so what's so bad about buying buying some food on a Sunday? And in many ways, that'd be hard to argue with. <laughs> what's so bad about buying food on a Sunday, right? Except for that, God had commanded it, and God had commanded it for a reason, for their good, so that they could have rest, so He could put things in order, and so that there would be a clear authority, right? And as we submit ourselves to God, God's authority, not only are we blessed by that, but we're also showing truths about God to the world. After that, it talks about these people who had married foreign wives and about Levites who weren't doing their jobs. And so he goes through, he puts all these things in order, and he says that he cleanses out everything that's pagan. He takes God's people, and all of these things that are against God's will, he casts out or puts in order. And three times, I think three times, he says, remember me, O God, concerning these things. Remember me, remember me, remember me for the good that I have done. And we know that to this day, God has remembered him, first of all, we get to read and see how he was a servant of the Lord, and he's honored all around the world, right? In every, pretty much every language, pretty much. But not only that, but he stands before the Father, and he's going to be honored for his service. But there's one time, instead of saying, remember me, O Lord, that he actually says this in verse 29. He says, remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant, basically, that you've established. So let me ask you, if you were going <laughs> to if you were going to uh stand before God, what would you have him remember about you, about your life? Was it that oh yeah, you know, I mean these these people, they were oh hey, they're God's people. They were in the midst, they were in the temples, hey, they were priests, right? Everything was going pretty well. But they were not obedient. They were not submissive to God's will. And he says, remember them for that. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had some old, some old wise Christian dude see me doing something wrong and stand up and say, oh, God, remember Darren for what he's doing right now? 
I'd be a little freaked out. <laughs> I'd probably re be repenting pretty quick. But God is going to, you know, God doesn't, God doesn't necessarily forget. God's going to remember, right? And he's looking and he's watching our, uh, our life and he wants to put things in order for us. But he always does that really through, through two ways. First of all, he calls us into obedience. You know what the Bible says that God loves more than sacrifice? Obedience. It's simple, right? It's simple. But he also, he sends men and women into our lives, and he also sometimes sends us as those people to speak and to put his house in order. Not just the church, but also individually, right? And so as God is calling us to, to be renewed and to kind of build up those things that are broken in our lives, he wants to do it by, by us submitting to his will and to understanding, you know, what it is that he has for us. And just like in verse 8, when Nehemiah, he sees that things aren't right, he sees that things are broken, he sees that God's will is not being followed, and it says, and it grieved me bitterly. It grieved me bitterly. You know, that's the type of heart that God wants for us to have. You know, some people obey God out of fear. You know? I know when I really started trying to figure out what it meant to be a Christian and really start to, you know, try to um, grow deeper in my relationship with the Lord, it was out of fear. You know what I mean? I just got arrested. I was about to be arrested like another seven times that same year. You know what I mean? I didn't really know what was going on. Everything was kind of crazy. And I didn't know a whole lot, but I knew I probably needed to pray. <laughs> and uh, I prayed a lot that year and for the years to come. And a lot of it was out of fear, out of fear of God. But you know what? The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of understanding. Right? Some people, man, they, they can obey God. And they can, they can, they're just looking through the words and they're, oh, you know what? This is, I'm not doing this right and I'm going to follow. And some of it, it's out of love. Right? And they just, there is an overwhelming sense of love and they want to, to be in a right relationship with him. They, they have a desire and we should all have that desire. And then there are some people who they, you know, there's not a whole lot of emotion attached. It says what it says. God is who he is. And so this is what I need to do. And in reality, all of that should probably be working together somehow in our lives. Somehow in our lives. But many times we end up being in that place where maybe we wouldn't say it openly, but in our head as, as we know what God is calling us to do, as we feel convictions uh, in our heart from his word, or when we hear the word spoken to us, we know there's, there's something that God is calling us to put away, put away from us. He's calling us to separate from certain people. He's calling us to separate from certain things. He's calling for us to dedicate ourselves to him. We feel that conviction, but we think, well, you know, and here's all these reasons why I shouldn't, or I can't, or why Really, I can do it this way, and God is still going to bless it, you know. God is still going to make it work, cause, you know, because he loves me. And I hear that all the time. And we put ourselves outside of God's favor, right? 
when that peace and that favor of God has already been bought for us. I had a, a guy talk to me today, and um, he told me, he said, man, I just, I just want to worship the Lord, man. I just want to worship him. That's just what I live for. And I said, really? Okay. And uh, this, this gentleman has, wasn't living his life very well. And he knew that. He knew he wasn't living his life right. And he was, he was telling me. I wasn't asking. He was telling me about how bad things were. And I told him, basically, that there has to be somewhere in your heart where you're willing to submit and lay these things down. He said, I want to. I want to worship God and all this. And I said, well, what are you going to do when you leave here? What are you going to do? Because you can tell me you want to worship God. You can tell me you have faith. You can tell me you love the Lord and that you want to serve Him. But when you leave here, you're going to do what you want. And so if it's not casting these things away from you and putting things in order, don't tell me you want God. Don't tell me that. If you sit here and you worship and you sing these songs out loud about how great God is and how you give all, and you're going to walk out of my house and go back to doing the exact same things you were just doing, you're a liar. Because the Bible says if we hear the word, but we don't obey it, man, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. Let's not deceive ourselves tonight. I believe that God has a, a, a purpose and a will and a desire for everybody in this room personally, corporately, that he has a place for you to be connected to the body of Christ, to be a servant. He has a purpose for you, he has spiritual gifts for you, for you to reach out to the lost, to love people, and to be a shining light for Jesus Christ. But until we surrender our will, until we can at least hear and see what God's will is, and it can, until we can allow him to start putting our lives in order, we're never going to walk in that fulfillment. We're never going to walk in that blessing. And what we'll see is we'll see our lives get farther and farther from God and look more and more like the broken worlds. And maybe you don't know what God's will is for you. Maybe you're not sure how you're supposed to live it. But, just, but you know what? Either were the Israelites until God's word was read to them. And when they understood how far they had drifted, that was when that spark of revival was able to happen. And so I believe there are some in here who, who have some understanding. They know there are things on their heart already that God has placed there, where God has been telling them, I want you to seek me in this way. I want you to separate from these people. I want you to put th these things in order. And we failed to do it. So I want, you, I want to just invite all of you to pray with me tonight. And Judah too, because he seems unhappy. I want to invite y'all to pray and just ask God to reveal those things in our life that we need to put in order. And I want to challenge you to, to look at your life and your relationship with God honestly and to respond to God's word as, he, as, as you've already seen it or as he's going to show you in the days and the weeks to come. In fact, to have an eagerness to open this word and see, Lord, what do you have for me? And to simply obey God's word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord. And we thank you that you're merciful, Lord, and that you love us, and that your love towards us is not based on our performance, Lord. 
It's not based on how good we are, how good we can be, Father God, what we can do for you, because you need nothing from us. But Lord Jesus Christ, you died to set us free, not just one day, but to set us here free and now and to give us your Holy Spirit as that empowerment, Lord, to rule over sin, Father God, and to let us walk in righteousness before you. But Lord, Lord, we have to admit to you, we don't know how. Lord, and we don't have the strength on our own. We cannot fix the problems of our lives. We cannot put our lives in order. We can't do these things on our own. We need your strength. And Father, I pray that you would just reveal to us those places, Lord, where we need to, we need to surrender to you and where we need to start putting into practice and be obedient to these things, Lord, that you would just convict our hearts tonight on what those are. And that you would help us make commitments right here in this room to move forward in an obedient relationship with you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.